Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities, and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today. I think technology at its best, uh, at least for me, does exactly this. You don't realize how obsolete what you've grown accustomed to is until the second you embrace the next best thing. And it's like, oh my gosh, because like two days before I realized what Amazon ID was, there was nothing in the world more innovative and seamless to me than using my iPhone to pay, or dare I say, even using my Apple Watch to pay. Like, why would I need anything else? Right. And now here comes Amazon saying, well, actually, you don't even need that. And again, my initial thought was like, oh, that's crazy. That's scary. But now I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I'm like, I'm very much seeing the benefits from it. Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today we're talking about Amazon One ID, which is one of the newest advancements in fintech and payment. So we're going to explain what it is, how it works, the financial implications, and whether you should be a little afraid. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably an assault on people's eardrums. (laughs) Oh my God. Sound evil. Just kidding. There's no reason to be afraid, but that was us having some fun (laughs) with the sound effects. (laughs) But first, please rate and review the Rich and Regular podcast wherever you listen to the show. And as a reminder, we love hearing from y'all. So if you have any questions or topics that you want us to address on the show, you can use the contact us page at richandregular.com or you can reach us at hello at richandregular.com. All right. I like the little, little email sound of it. <laughs> you you did not just receive a email notification. That was us. <laughs> Don't be triggered. Okay. Let's jump into it because this is something that I've been actually really excited about. Like I've nerded out on this thing. I've been so like enamored with this tool. And I would imagine a lot of people are wondering like, what is this tool? So obviously it makes yeah, sense. A lot of people saw it and had the exact opposite reaction. I know. Well, so- and, and I'm going to get into that because I, I will not say that my reaction was one of excitement the very first time, but I, I will I will get into that. So first let's just talk about what Amazon One ID is. What is it? And basically it is a new ID, which is an identification system that allows you to pay at checkout by using your palm. Pay and be identified. Pay and be identified. As a loyal member, as whatever, as over 21, yes. all through your palm. Yes. Yeah, so if you have ever traveled, let's say in the last, I don't know how long Clear has been out. I'm just going to say 10 years or something like that. If you've gone to the airport, you're going through uh, security TSA lanes and you're seeing TSA pre-check, you're probably more familiar with that. But off to the side, there's normally a tinier, smaller, fast lane, which is called clear. And if you're at a busier airport, they might actually be 
perusing through the TSA pre-check trying to enroll you to get right. you. Hey, you know what? This is a shorter line over here. Just sign up for clear. But basically you walk up to a machine, like a scanning booth almost. It scans your face. It takes a picture of you. I think it also scans your eyes or something like that. It does. Like it scans that. your eyes. It scans your eyes, but they take a picture of you to make sure that you are who you are. And that is basically your way of showing your identification, approving who you are, and then you can move through TSA or move through the, the TSA security line. Now, when I think about Amazon ID, it's a very similar process in the sense that you're using biometrics, some other way of showing identification and saying who you are, but except we're not in an airport anymore. We're now in a grocery store in Amazon yeah. One. ID because it's a part of Amazon and Whole Foods is a part of Amazon is going to be really the first one to roll this out. But I would imagine this is going to become a standard in a lot of places. And that's in part why we're talking about it a little bit today. Yeah, I think most people have heard of Amazon or as Bo, our son calls it, Prime Video. <laughs> he does not know it <laughs> exactly. as Amazon. But you may have forgotten that Amazon is a tech company because I think a lot of people just think of them as an online retailer, exactly. somewhere you can buy something and get it at your door fairly quickly. But they're also a tech company that is amazing at distribution and they're a digital media company with Prime Video and they also own Whole Foods, like you mentioned. Yeah. But they have always been disruptive. I remember at launch, they were able to disrupt bookstores because they believed in this long tail and would offer books that retailers basically didn't have shelf space for. So if you needed something that was a backorder classic or something that had been out for a while or was kind of obscure, yeah. you couldn't walk into a Barnes and Noble and get that. So then they launched Amazon Prime, which disrupted retail and oh, logistics yeah. because they were offering free two-day shipping, which was Unheard of. It's the good old days. Unheard of. Because warehouses used to just be in one or two spots. And Amazon was like, nah, you got to have warehouses everywhere and get people the product quickly. Yeah. Then they launched Amazon Cloud Storage, which is basically the backbone of the internet and is used by some of the biggest companies in the world to store their data and all of the needs that they have for their business. A lot of people don't know that. Like, I don't know what the revenue distribution is for Amazon, but like that is a significant oh, yeah. portion of why the company is so big and is so powerful. I think to your point, a lot of people are really just thinking about them as an online retailer. Yeah, like think, it offsets a lot of their... That's why they're able to keep the prices correct. so low on their website because they don't need to make a profit when and they've got AWS. Because they certainly aren't making a profit with Whole Foods. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> but if that wasn't enough, Amazon did buy Whole Foods in yep. 2017 with the goal of disrupting the grocery business. So when it comes to Amazon ID, I think it absolutely has the potential to disrupt the way that people shop and even identify themselves in our broader world beyond just the four walls of Whole Foods. Yeah, so Amazon ID. So let me just kind of explain a little bit of how it works. So basically, if you go into a Whole Foods, and at this point, we're recording this in early September. This will be released a few weeks after that, something like that. But if you go into your local Whole Foods, you might actually be able to see what this looks like. Now, in our local Whole Foods, it's actually at the checkout line uh, or the self-checkout line. It was not installed at any of the, I guess, cashiered, man or woman, I don't know what you want to call it, but it wasn't at any of those checkout lines. It was just in the self-checkout line. And it's really simple. Like basically, if you wanted to sign up for it, you would insert your credit card into the device. You would punch in your phone number. It would go recognize who you are. Basically, you would then hover and scan like your right hand and your left hand. And I want to say they say it takes around 15 seconds or so. Get a little prompt that says you're done. And basically from that point forward at any Amazon One ID, uh, I guess you can call it 
device, you can basically scan your palm and it would recognize who you are and allow you to pay. And the way that I think about this is, you know, you basically link your your phone number and your credit card to it. And that's pretty much it. Like, yeah, it's it's so... I mean, there's a reason they put it in self-checkout, I think. I think people who use self-checkout are naturally more like inclined to adopt different technologies, don't mind figuring things out. So it's like, for them, taking the extra 15 seconds or 30 right. seconds to register, swipe your palm a few times, is probably easier than a sell in the traditional <laughs> cashier lane. Yeah. Where it's just like, what? What you asked me to do? Now, like, I will say this. The palm part threw me off because I was really thinking about it. I was like, man, like palm, there's nothing that I've ever done where I had to hover my palm over. The only time I hover my palm over something as if I'm trying to see how hot it is, and, <laughs> right? And so I felt like this was like a natural part. I was like, I don't know that this is going to work at first because like, like I don't want to, like I was naturally hesitant because like yeah, my body, my muscle memory was telling me that when you put your palm over something, like it's going to burn you. Right. So you really need to be careful. But then I had to just take a step back and think about what they were doing. And I realized, okay, this is going to take some time. But there are other reasons why they chose the palm and let's say not the fingerprint. Instead of trying to explain that because I'm not a scientist or a data engineer, we found this clip directly from Amazon. And this is a clip from Amazon's VP of physical retail and technology. His name is Dilip Kumar. And he's basically describing how it works, why they settled on the palm and why basically this is pretty cool. Here's what he had to say. So once we wanted to create Amazon One, there was a range of biometrics that we could choose from. Face, voice, fingerprints. We selected Palm because it had several characteristics that were very suitable for us. The first one was we wanted it to be contactless. Now, several biometrics met that criteria. The second criteria that was very important for us is that we wanted the biometric to be private. When you look at a Palm, you can't ascertain a person's physical identity by just looking at a picture of their Palm, unlike face or even your voice which can give you clues about the person's identity. A picture of your palm doesn't give you a clue as to who the person is. Third one was we wanted this to be a very intentional gesture. What makes a very simple, intuitive gesture for customers? That's where we start. People are used to holding a phone over a scanner uh, in order to be able to identify themselves. So we said, well, let's remove the phone. People are used to this gesture of holding something over a scanner so we can just eliminate the phone from that and just have people hover their palm over it. It wasn't a passive biometric, like your mere walking into the room or standing in line doesn't trigger a biometric to you know be identified. So we want the customer to always be in control over where and when they choose to either identify or to pay. Now, when he said that this was something that people were accustomed to, I was like, I don't know about that. Yeah. I was like, I don't know about that. But I will say it also made me think about the few times I've, well, I shouldn't say the few times, more so when I travel now because I normally put my boarding pass in my wallet. And that is about the only other time my hand does that gesture. And to his point, that might be what he's referring to. Like you do it all the time when you're boarding a plane, assuming you actually use your wallet or like the QR code that's in an app. But I don't know that a lot of people do that. Like, again, I, I think it's really regional. Think. Like there are some places that have been outfitted with new grocery stores and right. new retail, you know, stores like Targets and Walmarts that are new that have received the proper technology to be able to do that. There are other regions where it's like that Walmart been there 25 years. Right. 
you still got to like swipe the card. You can't even insert exactly. <laughs> with the pen. Like it's it's not a thing. So I think it just depends. He's yeah. he's very clearly talking to people on the West Coast oh, at sure. the heart of a lot of the technology for advancements. Sure. But I love how thoughtful he was about making it natural and contactless and removing all of the friction that comes with adopting these new technologies. Because I think this will allow them to get more adoption across age groups and generations. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of when Apple removed the home button. Yes. You remember that? Like it, it threw people it off. It threw people like, off. Well, what do you mean? Like how do I how do I And I have a personal theory that the only reason they had it was because Blackberry had one. Right. And because at the time this full touchscreen navigation was still new to people. They were used to navigating using a thumb similar to how you use a mouse. But then when they launched front-facing cameras, they eventually removed it and leaned on a different biometric like your face. And it definitely took some time to get used to, but now it's almost expected. Like the idea of taking a separate step to unlock your phone beyond just looking at it seems inefficient. And the only reason it may not seem inefficient is because you were born before it existed and you're almost burdened by the way that things used to work. But if you're someone like my son, who is six, who was born into a touchscreen world, everything. yes, he doesn't he, he know. Make, he, he reminds me how many screens I have that aren't that touch. don't touch. Exactly. It's like, oh, you're right. We, we, it's not a fully integrated thing yet. Most Correct. televisions aren't touchscreen. Yes, he does not have any limitations about how a television should work. He doesn't understand why he needs a remote to control the TV. His natural reaction is to touch it. And when he realizes that doesn't work because our TV ain't touchscreen, (laughs) he has a touchscreen one in the classroom. he's not even tall enough, right? Yeah, but they have one in the classroom. When he realizes that our TV is not touchscreen, he will use his voice to change the channels, which is not intuitive to me. I still get frustrated when I can't find a remote as if the TV just won't work anymore. (laughs) Even though it it can work on my watch, it can work through, you know, uh, voice activation, whatever. So there are several weird experiences for me that are completely normal to him. And I think part of tech literacy and our approach is treating it like a word you don't know, right? A word that you've never seen. You got to get past that initial impression of its clunkiness and its difficulty and really learn what it means so that you can learn to appreciate it. I really, really like that because um, for several reasons, because you're absolutely right. But I'm also really mindful of the fact that I've been reading with our son and he struggles with that, right? And so like he'll come across a word and he'll just stop. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't, yeah. What is I don't know what this is. I don't even <laughs> want to try. I'm like, well, just try it. I was like, you, you know the letter. Well, pr- pronounce it. He won't even yeah. try it. Right. And it's that same, to your point, hesitation that a lot of people, a lot of adults, a lot of older adults, if we're being fair, but I would say it's actually predominantly them, but people in our age range, yeah, too. Yeah, we're aging. The first time that I saw it, my first thought, my initial reaction, that's why I knew I was getting a little older. <laughs> Because normally I am all about this kind of stuff. (laughs) I was like, new tech, let's do it, sign me up. I'm not like a true and true first adopter, but I'm I'm definitely an early adopter. I'm like on the late end of early adoption. And I saw it and my first thought was like, I don't know, it looked clunky because there were two things. It was like the regular checkout thing where you put in your card or if you have Apple Pay, you can use that. And then it looked like this additional thing. It looked yeah. weird. It looked yeah. like a... Like, you <laughs> it's know, a word you don't know. Well, right. It was like, you know how like you put the club on your steering wheel? Yeah. It just looked like an additional attachment. And, and I've been so trained to think that anything that is additionally attached to a credit card device a is potentially fraudulent. <laughs> so I didn't know what was going on. But when I read it and I'm thinking about it and I was like, oh my gosh, like this as an advancement 
in early stage, it's something that we have to think about and talk about. And so it took me, I would say the second time, not to be fair, I've seen it three times now. I still haven't signed up. The <laughs> second time I didn't sign up was because I actually didn't have my wallet with me, which actually makes this even more valuable <laughs> because I knew that I was it's like going, they do it on purpose. I know I was going to Whole Foods. And the only reason why I decided to go, because it's not my, pro- my primary grocery store anymore, but I realized I was going to go ahead and stop because I was in the neighborhood. I didn't have my wallet. And I'll talk about that later. But I was like, oh, that's not an issue, right? Because there was a time where you didn't have your wallet, you couldn't buy what you needed. Exactly. Right? That was a whole thing. Yeah. And now it's like, oh my gosh, like that's not going to be an issue anymore. I wonder what implication this has right. on our way of life and on commerce and all of those things. So all of that to say, it took me a couple of times. And then eventually I was able to kind of see the upsides and honestly, like doing a little bit of research on it. And I would imagine this episode for a few people might help them, you know, squash or smother some of the, the, yeah. the fears a little bit. But I would say now I am generally excited about it. Again, I was a very early adopter on mobile pay and like the idea of not carrying a wallet. It, it, it makes me think about whenever we go on vacation, like the absolute last thing I want to do mm-hmm. is carry a wallet. I don't even want to put my wallet in the safe. Like I, yeah. I, I would rather leave it at home. Yeah. I, I don't want it. I don't like the idea of having it and leaving it. I certainly don't like leaving it in, you know, the little bag that you will have for us. And it's like leaving yeah. it there while you're in the water. It, it, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of it. And in this case, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, I just won't need it. And I'll also say just a couple of months ago, I was super excited and went through the process when Georgia was finally announced as the next state in line to have your driver's license in your mobile wallet. Because mm-hmm. I was like, great, one less thing for me to carry. So like, I'm like really rushing towards it. But as I'm having more conversations with the people, I'm realizing that they are very much yeah. holding on to the world of, I need my purse, I need my yeah. wallet. That's how I know, or other people know who I am. Yeah. And it's safe, it's secure, it's, it's familiar, which is what I would say. But I really feel like this is going to be ushering in a a new degree of like, Dare I say, moving us closer to like a cashless society? Yes, cashless, keyless, walletless, purses. I mean, the purses this season have been tiny. I don't know if y'all have noticed lately that the purses are getting smaller and smaller, and that's because presumably you this new generation doesn't carry car, car keys, doesn't need to necessarily carry a wallet. Yeah. You know, maybe just your ID and your card and some lip gloss and a phone, and like that's really it. So let's let's talk about convenience because I think that's one of the huge pros of this is that so if you think about all the times that you never had your card with you or your phone, you know, if you if you are at a, a vacation and you don't want to leave your stuff around or even if you just forgot to charge it, like the best part about this to me is that you don't have to charge your palm Man. or carry around a charger like Man. it frees up several several units of space in whatever it is that you schlep around. Yeah, it's amazing. And and again, I think technology at its best, uh, at least for me, does exactly this. You don't realize how obsolete what you've grown accustomed to is until the second you embrace the next best thing. And it's like, oh my gosh, because like two days before I realized what Amazon ID was, there was nothing in the world more innovative and seamless to me than using my iPhone to pay. Or dare I say, even using my Apple Watch to pay. Like, why would I need anything else? Right. And now here comes Amazon saying, well, actually, you don't even need that. And again, my initial thought was like, oh, that's crazy. That's scary. But now I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I'm very much seeing the benefits from it. I will also say this. 
this is something uh, that, that I don't think a lot of people are only thinking about. And maybe I'm like skipping ahead in terms of what this technology will unlock. But right now they are launching it in grocery stores at self-checkouts. It will eventually be at all Whole Foods. I would imagine sometimes this year, like it's a simple installation. But I will say this, we're only thinking about it from a standpoint of, oh, I want to buy something. I don't think that that's going to be it. Like, I think that it's actually just going to be to your point, and, and this may be why they're calling it Amazon One, One ID. ID <laughs> yeah, is that well, this transaction can go both ways. Yes, right. So it doesn't matter where you are. You want to imagine you go into the barber shop, right? Like, there's just a scanner right there. Scan your hand. There it is. Boom, you're done. Like, or punch in the number. Boom, you're done. Or somebody wants to give you something. You're in a restaurant. You want to split the bill. Like, there are so many implications here for how this one thing I think has the ability or the potential to make the way that we do things right now more secure and definitely like faster. So like I'm very much leaning towards the pros of it. We just came from a conference and it was a small conference. But again, when you go to a conference and you see like some of the little things that people do because they need their phone, it was like, oh, well, let me email you something. Do you have your phone? Like, and even that like very quickly became a little clunky because then you got to open the app and you got to do all the stuff and maybe you got a bad connection. Again, like this technology as a form of identification and because it's linked to a credit card and your number and your email, I think has the potential to streamline several digital or technological forms of communication in far more situations than just a financial transaction. Yep, I agree. So we got convenience, we got streamlining digital communications. I think another pro is just that it's a secure form of payment. There's a tendency to overlook the prevalence of financial fraud in our world because when it hasn't happened to you, you're prone to ignore it. But the reality is fraud costs Americans billions of dollars every year, and it's risen 70% in 2021 versus 2020, and another 30% in 2022, totaling around $5 billion a year. Now, a lot of this is because criminals get access to credit cards and use it to steal identity and make these fraudulent charges. So in a lot of ways, this is a way to fight back. If you can wrap your head around how unique a single fingerprint is, and how you know criminals wear gloves to prevent just one fingerprint from anywhere in the crime scene, yeah. then imagine how much more complex a palm scan is and how hard it is to replicate. You can't look over someone's shoulder and steal a number. You don't have to worry about lost cards. All of that goes out of the window. Yeah, I will add to that by saying, generally speaking, criminals are looking to get your information in the simplest way possible. Right. Like they're looking for low hanging fruit. Like they're not out here trying to keep up with the latest and greatest technology so that they can figure out a way to scam you there first. Right. No, they're going to be holding on to or paying attention to the older ways, the less secure ways of being able to get your contact information. So I would say for anyone that is still kind of holding on to, you know, paper checks and, you know, credit cards and using debit cards and all of those things, like, you know, they're out there. They're still widely accepted, but the usage of those forms of payment come with a very quantifiable risk. And you just said it, right? That's exactly what criminals and financial Your fraud. sensitive information is literally, it's, printed, it's literally printed on all right of them. There. Your name, Everything the credit card need. number, the security ID, it's all the bank account number, if it's a check, yeah. your address, like everything is printed on our primary forms of payment. And that in and of itself is a security risk versus just your palm. Yeah, I have never had to deal with any form of financial fraud, thankfully, but I know several people who have. And I think a lot of people tend to underestimate how 
overwhelmingly disruptive financial fraud can be, right? It's not just, oh, you lost a couple hundred or hopefully not like a couple thousand dollars. It's that. It's identity theft. It might affect your employment chances. It will impact your credit history, which might have an impact on your ability to apply for an apartment or to move. Like it just completely, I'm not going to say destroys, but in some cases, like truly, truly disrupts your ability to navigate the world. I think your general sense of safety that you may have just walking around because you don't know if somebody is watching you. Like it's just really, really, I think this really just kind of takes away from, I think, your your sense of happiness. He mentioned this in the video, but there's also a lot of benefit to the idea that it's contactless, right? So like, again, you're not touching anything. I think people don't even think about it. And don't get me started on just how gross phones are. Right? <laughs> they like, are gross. So I found the data point. So 75% of people bring their iPhones with them into the bathroom. That's true. Right? So, <laughs> But we, you don't wash it like you we, wash your hands. <laughs> I was just about to say, you wash your hands and you're adamant about washing your hands. But then, then you, you still touch pick that up dirty your phone. dirty phone <laughs> and you put it on your face and you give it to your kids <laughs> and they put it in their mouths. Like, this is our way of life. Right? Okay. So at least this is one other thing that you just don't have to touch, you know? But again, like you talk about the, you know, COVID-19 and some of the surges that we're seeing right now, like every single point where we have, where we're not touching something yeah. that a bunch of other people aren't touching. I feel like we're minimizing our abilities of contracting something and then passing it on. Yeah. And I think the last benefit is that they won't sell your data, at least according to the website. <laughs> now here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I saw that, I was like, I know. I and I'm like, glad they clarified. There might be I some fine print. Is it, is it a white font? <laughs> really? Here's exactly what their website says. Amazon One will never share palm data with government agencies or advertisers under any circumstance, unless unless, <laughs> unless we're required to comply with a legally valid and binding order. Yeah. Your palm data is not used by Amazon for marketing purposes and will not be bought or sold by other companies for advertising, marketing, or any other reason. Which I'm glad they clarified that because I was definitely imagining like waving my palm in front of a police officer when they asked for my license and registration oh, sure. and that not ending well. <laughs> like, that's sure. not a good idea. So I'm glad they clarified that. And I'm actually in Inclined to believe them because as one of the world's largest retailers, fraud costs them too. Yeah. It cuts into their margins to replace and refund fraudulent charges. And y'all know I fundamentally believe that this country revolves around incentives. Amazon has a huge incentive to cut down on fraud. And to put this in perspective, social media will 1000% sell your data. Credit card companies will 1 million percent sell your data to merchants and digital marketers. Sure. Apple says they don't sell your data, but they do use it to target for more products and services. But the incentives for that company, for those companies are very different than for a retailer. So I actually do think that they will try not to sell their data. I think <laughs> I, I think it speaks to the disruptive nature, right? And, and I, if I'm not mistaken, in some part of the video that I watched as I was learning more about it, they did speak to that. Like they were also owning up to the fact that, hey, we're also trying to be disruptive, right? So if this is something that we have to do in order to break through in this place, like the fact that they are saying, you know what, skip the phone altogether. You can pay without it. I think in and of itself, that is an act of disruption. But I'll add another company to that list uh, that I think is just the, the complete opposite, Google. 
Uh-huh. Google tells you this is how we make money. Yeah. Like we make 99% we of read our money emails. by selling <laughs> Thank your you for data. using Gmail because we, we read it and now we've sold it. They, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They straight up tell you like, this is how we make money right here. <laughs> right. And I think that given how important in recent years, I don't think it's gotten enough attention, but I think in recent years, privacy and security has become such a huge, huge concern. I would imagine that is in part due to the rise in fraud, but I think it's also just a growing distrust in big tech for a wide variety of reasons. And so to your point about Amazon's and Amazon One ID's statement, like I think it really says something that they were willing to put it out there. All that to say, I think um, whenever something is free, it's, it's usually because there's like a bigger fish you know, on the, on the other side, right? There's a reason why it's free, right? Generally speaking, we say if it's free, it's because you, your data are the product. In this case, I, I think it's TBD. We'll see exactly how they figure out a way to make money. Yeah, because they're not or saying, they don't. yeah, they're not saying that the credit card that you've linked to your palm won't sell your data. They're just saying we ain't gonna sell your palm data. Correct. So they may actually be telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that there is some truth in that. This is how skeptical we <laughs> if are. If you work for Amazon, send us a note and oh tell us goodness. if y'all lying or not. <laughs> right. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win The Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. All right, so let's jump to the financial implications of all of this because there are several. One, we see that we're starting with grocery stores, but I think this can grow into other areas of our lives, like you mentioned earlier, gas stations, movie theaters, daycare centers, conferences. You know, I can even see implications with home security systems. Think about front gates or alarm systems to enter your home or smart locks. Like who needs a key if you have a palm? We saw hotels kind of make this shift with the little key cards and some of them use smart locks where you can use your mobile phone. But there used to be a day where you would get a physical jingle jangle key and they would have to keep up with several hundred of them. And that has all changed. So I think, you know, as this moves forward and there's an ID component attached versus just like a lock to the door. Yeah. That we'll see it more in more places. Yeah. And along those lines, you know, these days, whenever I think about hotel key cards, for whatever reason, I think my mind actually goes straight to just wasted plastic. Oh, because I know. There's just so many cards that are created. They ask you how many you want. I know. A, and they don't make you turn them, them in. They don't make you turn them in. They don't charge in. you if you, you take it home. You leave or, it behind. Yeah. Uh, presumably housekeeping is picking them up, returning them, and that they're minimizing that. But like, again, we've worked in that industry. For the, for the most part, we know that they're just being thrown away. Yeah. And so I think there's just a growing sensitivity to waste, especially when it comes to the use of plastic. And so I think in this case, it seems like a pretty seamless thing, right? Like we've we've already seen the growth in being able to use digital keys on your phone. Like it kind of feels like this has a potential to eliminate that the same way that it's eliminating the use of a digital wallet. I think the other thing that I think about that I'm particularly excited about is just being in restaurants, right? Like we've seen some... some advancements in recent years with people being able to use like mobile checkout devices or they just kind of leave the thing there for you and ask you to pay. But I feel like 
this has the potential. Like imagine a world where, think about your experience that you just had at the Delta Club Lounge, right? You walk in, you scan your arm, you sit down at your table, you order your food, you're done. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to right. do anything. Like you signed up, you're assigned to a table. Yeah. Any food that is sent and consumed at that table is automatically charged to your account. Like this is not a stretch of the imagination. No, because if you think about how open table integrated, because payment processors have had a hard time integrating into restaurants because they all use different point of sale and creating something that is ubiquitous and seamless and not going bankrupt is very hard to do. Amazon is a company that could do it. The last person or the last company that I saw do this was Open Table, where they integrated their reservation system into a restaurant. So now you can make a reservation on your phone instead of calling. This would be something similar where it's like, you got to have a lot of money and a lot of respect and credibility to go to any restaurant manager and say like, hey, we want to change something. And Amazon is probably the only company that can really do that well. I'm going to make a bold prediction here because we've already seen how just the change in payment processes at restaurants has affected service culture. Yeah. I would argue that this takes it to the next level and makes an even greater case for eliminating tipping altogether because we're going to have group service anyway, right? Yeah. You just show up, you're at the restaurant, you've got your seating, you've got your reservation. We know exactly what time you're coming there. Everyone here is to serve you. Everyone here is serving everyone, right? I really see like that's, that has the potential, I think, to be something that really forces the labor model and yeah. the service model and restaurants to change as a whole. Again, I'm starting with restaurants, but yeah. like it has potential to change a lot, which is in part why we wanted to talk about it. Yeah. The last point I'll make is just around tech illiteracy. I've already said a little bit about it, but I just think this is a huge step forward. And I mean a huge step, especially when you consider what I call the demographic wars, which sounds very violent, but it's actually not. (laughs) I've just been going down a rabbit hole for a couple of months about these giant demographic shifts that are happening, not just in our country, but in the world, because they obviously impact our approach to parenting and they impact our approach to investing. So here's the quick rundown. I'm going to try not to geek out. One, historically, there are populations across the world that were shaped like pyramids. So there would be large numbers of children at the bottom and then just a small number of people at the top. And that was largely because of high birth rates and low longevity rates. So people were dying sooner. All of that has switched. So in big countries like the United States, Japan, some of Western Europe, those populations have really squared off. And there's now this sense of parity among generations because people are having fewer babies and people are living longer. So the boomers who used to have this outsized presence among all generations, so that's why they were called the boomers. Now they peaked back in 1999. So now they have about 69 million people. Millennials, outpaced the boomers. And now we have about 72 million people. We are chill. We are chill. (laughs) Gen Z, right about 69 million people. So we've never had this before where it's really squared off and we all kind of get one vote. We all are about the same size. And as y'all know, 70% of our economy is based on consumption. So now there's this culture shift when it comes to shopping and advances and payments and technology. And Gen Z is leading the way. They've been early adopters of digital wallets and mobile payment services like Cash App and Venmo. They use buy now, pay later services instead of credit cards. And they've never had a device that didn't have some kind of biometric capability. They didn't have, you know, the the early Blackberry with the the thumb scroll, right? Mm. So 
So Maybe yeah, you had to put some yeah. uh, some alcohol on that thing because it would get a little <laughs> it would get stuck it would get a little sticky. clunky. It was like once a week. You had to yeah. clean. It was like a mouse you for your phone. Pearl, which <laughs> and don't lose the pearl. Oh yeah, that was expensive. Well, like, but, that's because you dropped your phone. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't that bad. That sounds crazy that we had mouses for our phones. That was our, that was our generation's version of a dial. Yes, well, I was still alive when you could dial your phone, and you needed like multiple fingers like oh, yeah. to to operate it because it, it was, it was wide and. <laughs> The point is, if Amazon can get their processor in more places beyond, you know, where groceries cost 40% more than a standard grocery store, I can absolutely see this taking off. It's just a matter of like when people get to try it. And it may be a couple of years. So just know that listeners of the Rich and Regular podcast are early. Yeah. Listen, we have been advocates for technological illiteracy and the connection points between tech illiteracy and financial illiteracy for a couple of years now. And it, it's, it's, it's still a huge concern for me personally, I guess, and professionally. I think about so many people in my life who are just comfortable doing things the way that they have, like they, they've not even begun to adopt some of the things that are now becoming obsolete. And so to your point, when you start to look at these generational shifts, when you have two generations, Gen Y and Gen Z, in some ways operating in a greater extent of lockstep, I feel like that also has the potential to expedite change even faster than it already is. And my concern is we're going to have people in cases of need who really, really need stuff, and they're just not even going to be able to conduct the conversation or conduct the transaction. I think about the least vulnerable among us, just on a simple level. I remember when we were in Baltimore not too long ago, I want to say maybe that was last year or something like that for a speaking engagement. And there was a homeless gentleman and he was shaking coins in a cup. And I don't know why, maybe just because of the work that we do and just because of the way that my brain works. The first thought that came to mind is how does that work in a cashless society? When people don't have cash to give or coins to give, you could argue it's almost like thinking about a nonprofit organization that only accepts cash. Yeah. Right. In a world where you people couldn't give you money if they wanted to, because you don't have a device or the primary means of accepting currency through people, right? So there is definitely a consequence, a cost to it. Not blaming Amazon One ID for this. I understand why they're doing what they're doing, but we're mentioning it because it's something that I think everyone should be thinking about because we can talk about disruption from the standpoint of a tech company and think of that as cool, but there are social ramifications to disruption just about every step of the way. And I think that's at least just one of those things that I think about when it comes to ushering us forward into a cashless society. There is the inconvenience that it creates for people who just haven't jumped on that bandwagon. And then there's just straight off like cutting off the people who aren't plugged into the way that this new system is moving and operating. So there you have it, Amazon One ID. And um, it's here if you haven't seen it. Even if you don't shop at uh, Whole Foods, just go look at it from, from a distance. <laughs> go look at it. Give it a side eye, you know, form an opinion because it's going to come to your store at some point soon. But like, go find it. Look at it. There are tons of videos about it uh, on the Internet. You can go take a look and formulate your own opinion. At least it'll be a little bit more informed now that you've listened to the podcast. Love it. All right. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Let's drop the music. All right. My final thought is just explaining the reason why we talk about tech so much on a 
financial podcast. And it's because the ability to determine technology's value and the potential that it has to impact your life is a critical skill. It is a part of financial literacy. If you were a small business owner and had known that most transactions would occur online in the next 10 years, wouldn't that have changed the way that you created your business model? If you grew up taking Ubers with your parents and you knew that you could get a ride or food delivered from your phone, wouldn't that have changed your eagerness to get a license? So now when you think about these companies who are preparing for the future and are preparing for a world where there are just as many young people as there are old people, Mm -hmm. I'm basically asking you to think like a six-year-old or a 16-year-old, whatever's easier. Ask yourself what they will care about and does the technology make more sense then? Because it's only a matter of time. Listen, so I will piggyback off of that because I was also talking to a six-year-old just the other day. Our son, we were spending a lot of time going through his workbook, his first grade workbook. And of course, I've been like really passionate about trying to teach him about money. But one of the things that I noticed was that several of the examples were all about helping him count coins and there were pictures of nickels. And I was like, oh, I don't know that this is actually going to be relevant. Like this is the beginnings of him being able to say, why am I learning about things that I'm not ever going to use? And he's only six. And so I was thinking about it and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is really, really like the implications are broad and it happens very, very quickly. So all of that to say, you might be brushing this off. It's just like, why are they talking about the new way of checking out at Whole Foods? I'm asking you and Kirsten is asking you to think bigger than that. Change is here. Change is coming fast. The pace of change is increasing. And I think we owe it to ourselves to be earlier adopters of new technology, because if we can't catch up, you basically get left behind. Ooh, bars. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. If you paid attention and want to pay it forward, please take some time to leave us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see y'all next week.